Coming up, there were plenty of Game 7s in the NHL and NBA playoffs, highlighted by the disaster in the Valley. What in the hell happened to the Phoenix Suns last night is beyond me. I'll also discuss the Celtics dethroning the defending champion Bucks, and the Toronto Maple Leafs' misery continues as they fail to advance to the second round yet again. I'll preview the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NBA and the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs with the Battle of Alberta and the Sunshine State, promising to be just that between Tampa Bay and Florida and, of course, the aforementioned Edmonton and Calgary. The Cincinnati Reds did what over the weekend? Rich Strike is not participating in the Preakness and a peek at the NFL schedule as it was released on Thursday. Your source for all the sauce in the world of sports. It's all on deck. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And if you haven't noticed, depending on where you live, the evenings have become longer It's getting dark here in my neck of the woods, a little after 8.30 p.m. I wake up this morning, it's 64 degrees, the humidity is about 95, but it feels like it's 80 degrees, which is right up my alley. No jackets today, no long sleeves, so you know that I'm in excellent spirits, as I mentioned just a minute ago. And then with all that being said, two weeks from today is Memorial Day, the unofficial beginning of summer. We have lots to be grateful, that's for sure, so enjoy these moments Stay as present as possible for yourself and for those who you value and that are very important to you. And at this very moment, what's important is to produce an entertaining and informative podcast delivering my takes on all that's happening in all the sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. A big sports week upcoming, we have the PGA, the second major golf tournament of the year, which will kick off on Thursday, I'll discuss that later on in the week. We also have a Preakness, the second leg of the Triple Crown, which has lost a lot of its flair with Rich Strike bowing out his horse who was the big underdog winning the Kentucky Derby, well you're not going to see him at the Preakness, which is going to bring no eyeballs to the sets if you're NBC or the horse racing fan. So you know I have to throw in my two cents about that later on. Everything that's happening in baseball. Of course, the Stanley Cup playoffs as well as the NBA playoffs are going to be front and center here. And before I even get to all the Game 7s that took place over the weekend, and count them, you had seven Game 7s. Two in the NBA, five in the NHL, four just yesterday alone. So you know there's going to be a lot to chew on here over the course of the next hour. And let's get right to it because... A few weeks ago, just about a month, I should say, where I went through the NBA storylines and the first storyline right out of the gate, and I guess we could say at this very moment, we can call the cops, call the top detectives, as well as the FBI, because the investigation of the Phoenix Suns 
And not to say that they had a cakewalk or that they had a clear path to the NBA Finals to get back there and hopefully get over the hump from blowing that 2-0 lead last year against the Milwaukee Bucks. But knowing that there wasn't a LeBron James in the way, knowing that there wasn't a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George in the way, knowing that the big dogs of the West, no Jokic, yes, I know Golden State as they're the one half of the Western Conference Final, but for the Phoenix Suns to not be in a spot where they're going to set themselves up for a home court advantage in a Western Conference Final is just downright awful. And the investigation begins right this very second. And I'm going to try to sort this out as concise and as simple for you guys and gals as possible. We go back to the game Thursday where they got their doors blown off in a game six where Luka led the charge. And you knew that Luka was going to put his fingerprints at some point in this postseason. I'll get to him later on because to me this is more about the Suns than anything else. But the Mavericks were able to blow him out in game six. And then let's fast forward, right, cut right to the chase last night. And mind you, I wasn't there basket for basket. I was watching Penguins-Rangers game seven, and I get people could say, Jay Reels, how could you watch the hockey over the basketball? Well, obviously the game started an hour earlier, and by the time that the game was out of reach when I found out and was just appalled by the score, and I'll get to that. But to me, I was more wrapped up into the hockey than the basketball. But to know that Luka came out with eight points in the first two minutes of the game, and even though the Suns, obviously down from the start, But even as we got later into the first quarter and at 29-22 where you're still thinking, all right, well, the Suns, they're down seven points, not a big deal. But when your big stars do not show up in the biggest spots, Devin Booker, and yes, I have to say Chris Paul. And I get it. He's 37 years old. There's been discussions about a bad quad, and we understand he's not the player that he once was. But then explain to me this, that performance in Game 6 against the New Orleans Hornets where he had a pathetic performance in Game 4, and I talked about this on the pod heading into this conference semifinal. And if you're playing hurt and you're in the lineup, and even if you play whatever, 25, 30 minutes, no excuses. If you can't play, then sit out. And I guess nobody's going to kill you, even in a Game 7, to advance and move on, all right, if you're unable to play, then so be it. But as the Mavericks continue to build their lead, and build their lead, and build their lead, and just continue to stack their chips, and when I first got a look at the score, because again, wrapped up in the hockey, I noticed that it was in the third quarter where the Mavericks were up 78-40. to and I said to myself, wait a minute, that, that can't be right. So I had to even go to the box score to take a better look to see if this was actually a typo. Because there was no way that the Mavericks, who have shown no penchant for being competitive in these games in Phoenix, and as we've seen, all you got to do is just go back and check the scores, the box scores, etc. And for them to lay a gigantic deuce not only at midcourt, but for them to be an absolute no-show in a Game 7 makes you think what in the hell happened in the 24 to 48 hours leading up to this game because they might as well have stayed home and had me play because at least I would have made a contribution considering that nobody on this team came to play. And we could start with Monty Williams. We know how fabulous of a coach he is. And he's a great guy. We want to root for him. And obviously he had to endure a lot of tragedy in his life, especially over the last five, six years. But man, this one doesn't have you scratching your head. This one really has you looking around wondering what in the hell happened to this team. It does start from the top when it comes to the position players, the roster. And I understand he is not the Lob City 2014 LA Clipper CP3. And even then, he didn't win a damn thing when he was in that uniform, same as if he didn't win when he was with the New Orleans Hornets, same as if he was a Houston Rocket, Oklahoma City Thunder, and then now a Phoenix Sun. 
And it makes you wonder, when we look at the back of his playoff basketball card, and you saw some of the numbers last night, it's not all his fault, I get it, but he's been on five teams that have blown 2-0 series leads. On top of, in his early days in New Orleans, and I get it was the Spurs, okay, fine, in 2008 he lost a Game 7 in his building, and he's 3-5 and five in Game 7 his lifetime. In 2009, please explain to me what happened against the Denver Nuggets or Carmelo Anthony-led Denver Nugget team in the first round where they suffered a blowout of epic proportions where they lost by 58 in a game four in their building. Look it up. Fast forward, all those defeats with the Clippers, including that famous game six where the Rockets had to sit out James Harden because he wasn't playing well. And Josh Smith and Corey Brewer, even with a 16-point lead late in the third quarter, they blew that game where they could have iced it, they could have moved on to a conference final, and that didn't happen. His last year in a Clipper uniform, he lost a Game 7 at home to the Utah Jazz. And no, no Carl Malone or John Stockton was on that team. And a Utah Jazz team that in the postseason over the last decade plus has not only very little to show for it, but at the same time does not have a bunch of Big time playoff moments over that decade period to where that's probably the one you could circle if you're a Utah Jazz fan. All right, you want to talk about 2018 losing to the Warriors the way they did, even though Chris Paul was hurt? And that's one, all right, I'll even give him a pass on that. But then the other series where Kevin Durant was hurt and Steph Curry, I believe, had one point in a game six, and then had 30 in the second half in order for the Warriors to go on to an NBA final? I won't even give you the Oklahoma City because he took that ragamuffin bunch and pushed it to a seventh game in the bubble. And we all know what happened in the bubble at the very beginning, the shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, etc. And him being the NBA player president and what they had to go through at that time. All right, but I'll ease back on that. But then explain to me last year, up 2-0 against the Bucks, and now this year up 2-0 against the Mavs and where you had not one but two shots, especially this one yesterday at home to win the series. I'm sorry, he's an all-time great, no doubt. But for those who think he's a top five point guard of all time, here we go. Magic, Isaiah, Oscar Robertson, Jason Kidd, John Stockton. Now, you could say statistically he's better than Kidd, or even Stockton for that matter. Stockton, all-time assist leader, all-time steals leader, been to two NBA Finals and against the Chicago Bulls, and we all know who is the leader of that team. And Jason Kidd won a title in 2011, who happens to be the same guy who's on the sidelines for the Dallas Mavericks, setting himself up for a conference final to go back home to the Bay Area against the Golden State Warriors. So, we can forget about scratch off Chris Paul's name in the top five point guards of all time. That you could just throw right in the garbage. At least for right this second. Devin Booker, he has to look in the mirror big time because I get it. He had 35 points there the other night in a game five, game six, no show. And last night he was invisible. Might as well not have been on the court. DeAndre Ayton, you're going to pay big bucks to this guy where I understand he's got ability and he's got potential, but no ferocity. He's not a guy that I think, at least early on in his career, a guy that you can really bank on to say, I'm going to trust this guy in a big spot or not even just in a big spot, in any spot. And I understand he has to have the right pieces around him. And you thought having Chris Paul there and even Devin Booker was going to shoot threes that this was going to be a guy that could flourish in the system. And yes, he has shown that he can play, but when the money is on the line, he's not going to take that ball and just take it to the hoop, be aggressive, and not only that, but also be aggressive on the defensive side because, again, where was that performance last night? And the Suns have a lot to answer to this offseason because to go 64-18 and in the regular season, all right, they had to sweat a little against New Orleans, but they were able to come out looking a little battered and bruised, but... They were fine. They figured, all right, we got this test out of the way. Now let's dispose of the Mavs. And there was no indication that they were going to lose. And yes, I thought last night was going to be a blowout, but not the blowout that I expected where the Mavs pretty much had a rocking chair effort when they were up by 30 at the half. 
30 at home. So please, get all of the Inspector Gadgets, the Sherlock Holmes, get them out there now. Because we need to investigate what the hell happened here to the Sunstein. And just one of the god-awful epic collapses at home in a Game 7 that I think you'll ever see in the history of the league. And as far as Dallas goes, give it up. Luka played well in Game 6 and last night was his game. Last night he said, I'm taking us home. I'm going to shut up all the doubters and naysayers that we can't win on the road. We can't win a big game. Luka this, Luka that. Yes, he's one of the top players in the league, but let me see him carry his team. Well, at least for one night and at least for a Game 7, he shut everybody up. Tack on Spencer Dinwiddie's 11 for 15, 30 points. Jalen Brunson also putting up big numbers there yesterday, and he was the third leading scorer. And when Jalen Brunson is your third leading scorer in a Game 7, you know it's all coconuts and palm trees. And we've talked about it too. The role players playing big on the road, which is very rare. Usually at home you get that type of performance. And we saw that with, not that they were role players, I get it, I mentioned this on the Thursday podcast, but when DeAndre Ayton has a big game and Mikael Bridges, and when they show up and they put in a big-time effort and contribute to a victory. Yes, we usually see that in the friendly confines, with the crowd, the atmosphere, environment, etc. But when Dinwiddie's putting up those type of numbers, and when you have guys who are just rising to the occasion, and the other team just shrinks, then man, there isn't much to say But congratulations to Jason Kidd and what he's done. Phenomenal job to get them over the hump. And it's interesting because to me, again, it's more about the Suns. And you have to give the Mavericks credit. They played well beyond my expectations there in the Game 7. I mean, who would have thought? But boy, so many questions. Not enough answers. And who knows if there's going to be an overhaul there in Phoenix. Because what we saw there last night was just inexplicable. And I was going to start off with the Celtics, but that was just just superseded anything that the Celtics did. And mind you, they were down 3-2 in the series, as we know. And then Friday, I didn't think they were going to get out of Milwaukee alive. I got to be honest. I thought Milwaukee got the game they needed, that game five, and then to come back home. They didn't want to get on a plane to go back to Boston. And Jason Tatum, I mentioned this the other day. I didn't think this was going to be a legacy-defining game, but this was going to be one that you were going to circle in the career, especially in the postseason when it comes to Jason Tatum. And all he did was pour in 46 points, just an epic performance in a mano-a-mano battle against Giannis. The Bucks had no answer for Tatum. And it's unfortunate because without Chris Middleton, and as the series went along, you could see that they were just... Not in sync. You could see that they needed to get that third guy. And even though Drew Holiday was phenomenal in the series, I thought he was great. He had his moments where he didn't shoot well. But he was a battler. That guy could play on my team any day of the week. And we know how great defensively he is. But they just didn't have that other guy. Pat Connaughton didn't step up when he probably should have. Same for Brooke Lopez. Same for Bobby Portis. Same for, you want to throw in Wesley Matthews, even though... He's had a couple of moments in the series, but still, they didn't have that second guy that was going to be bonafide. And you saw that as the series went on, and in particular Game 5, and then obviously yesterday, but the game yesterday got out of hand late. I know a lot was talked about in that second half, especially when Tatum got that third foul, and we thought that it was going to be a critical point in the game where the Celtic coach, Ime Udoka, challenged And it wasn't overturned. The play was upheld. So Tatum had his third foul at 45-43. And then, not to say that this was a big swing, but when Giannis then fouled Marcus Smart behind the three-point arc to where he got three free throws and he made it 48-45. For whatever the reason, once they came out of the tunnel, and mind you, this was on the heels of a great first-half performance by Grant Williams. But when you have a Celtic team who... Like I said, right out of the gate in the start of the second half, which is dropping threes, whether your name is Jalen Brown or even Grant Williams, who had a career high and a career game, 27 points, seven three-pointers, 
And when we look at the final stats to where the Celtics made 22 threes and shot 55, which is just unbelievable. And the Bucks only had four three-pointers to their credit. That's the game. And yes, it does help when Grant Williams is your leading scorer. And yes, Jason Tatum had his moments as well, scoring the basketball. But it was too much Grant Williams. Even Peyton Pritchard chipped in with four threes of his own. And the Celtics were able to come back from that brutal Game 5 loss and righted the ship to where now they're headed to the Eastern Conference Finals for the fourth time in the last seven years. Wait, let me think about that. 16-17, they made it. 17-18. 18-19, they did it. 19-20, yes. 20-21. Four in the last six, so my math is off. But this is going to be the third time for the Tatum-Brown combination. And then when we take a look at the other two participants here in the conference finals, what could you say about Miami? I understand it was 99-90, but it wasn't even as close as the final score indicated. And yes, I could pound on James Harden today, but I've pounded on him so much, and we know the numbers, we know he took the one shot in the second half, we get that, he was invisible there, he didn't want the ball, and we could talk about that ad infinitum. But what I will say is that if you're Daryl Morey, and I know that you're pretty much tied to the hip with James Harden, not only from your days in Houston, but bringing him here from Brooklyn, and now... He does have that player option for next year. Whether or not they're going to give him that max contract, boy, if I'm a Sixer fan, I don't want any part of this guy. Same like Chris Paul. Same like even Russell Westbrook. The back of his playoff basketball card just pales in comparison to what he's done in the regular season. So that's for them to answer. And Embiid with his comments afterwards, oh, we didn't get the Houston James Harden. We got more of a playmaker. If you're the Sixer front office, you have to pay attention to these red flags. I mean, that's all there is to it. I'm sorry. Process or no process. And we all know that that ship is long sailed. So that, and then the Warriors got the game six clay, 30 points, eight for 14 from three. Memphis did not have an answer. And although they had that epic blowout there in game five down in Memphis, but this is going to be a learning experience for them. Dylan Brooks did say that we're going to be back. They have a young core, John Morant, and I'm sure he's available for an extension this offseason. I don't know what that's going to entail for a young Grizzly team that you're going to have to pay these players down the road, but that's for them to discuss, and that's for us to even get into probably in the summer. But the Final Four set, Boston-Miami, Golden State, and Dallas, and we all know that they have a track record, and I'll start with the East. Boston and Miami, to me, and this is coming more from a fan's perspective, this is a bubble revenge if I haven't seen one. We know the Celtics had that grueling seven-game series against Toronto in the conference semifinals and then pretty much ran out of gas to where they were down 0-2 in the series to the Heat. They tried to make things interesting, even down 3-1. They did win a game five, but then they lost in six games, again, down in the bubble. We all know about the block, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum there, and that was a game that the Celtics had to have. Didn't happen. So now we're going to revisit this rivalry that goes back, obviously, to the days of LeBron James, the epic game six in Boston, and how he turned his career around in that game. And yes, we could go through all those scenarios. Same with Golden State and Dallas, the We Believe team 2007, the eight beating the one, the last time that that's happened in NBA playoff history. But with the Celtics and Heat, to me, this is going to be another street fight. This is going to be tooth and nail. I wouldn't be surprised you're going to get some throwback games of the 90s where you could see 93-91. You're not going to see 78-72. Now that is going back to the late 90s with all the hand checking and just fouls everywhere. But you may see a few low scoring games in the series in that regard. It's going to be a tough task. The Heat. Again, it's more about their culture. It's more about their system than it is about one player. Jimmy Butler is very, very good as we know, but he's not on that level of a Luka Doncic or Jason Tatum, whose star is continuing to rise in this postseason. 
I'm going to say Celtics in six. It's probably going to be a seven-game series. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to the final possession, similar to what we saw in this Bucks celtics series, which was a great series. Granted, the Bucks ran out of gas, and give them credit, they were just valiant and showed a lot of championship heart, even though they faltered there down the stretch in game six, as well as in the second half yesterday. But, I'm, of course, I got to choose hard overhead in this matter. Can the Heat win? Absolutely. And the Heat, they're flying on the radar here as a one seed because they don't have that standout player. Yes, I said Jimmy Butler's very good. We know about Bam out of bio, Tyler Harrell off the bench, Victor Oladipo. They have a lot of weapons. But I'm going to go with the two stars. I'm going to go with momentum. And I'm going to take the Celtics in six. And as for the West, I'm sure Golden State is flying high knowing that they have home court here this series. They don't have to travel to Phoenix. They don't have to worry about having to steal one of the first two in the Valley. But you got to watch out because you could arguably say that the best player on both teams is Luka Doncic. You could actually say that he's better than Steph Curry, at least for right this very moment. Can the Mavericks win? That's the first question. Listen, if they beat Phoenix, why can't they beat the Golden State Warriors? I think this is going to be a long series. Both of these series are going to be long. I think that the Golden State Warriors will prevail. I don't know what took out of the Mavericks here all the energy of these last two games. Mind you, game one isn't until Wednesday. So they do have a couple of days to recover. It's not as if they have to dial it up or run it back right out of the gate here tomorrow night in the Bay Area out in the West Coast. So maybe that will benefit the Mavs once the tip-off there comes Friday around 9 o'clock. Or excuse me, Friday, Wednesday night, pardon me. But I think the Warriors will win a seventh game in their building. And... I picked the Miami Heat to go to the finals at the beginning of the year. Check those receipts. And maybe I should probably stick with that, but the Clippers, we know, are long gone. That was the other team that was supposed to be representative as far as my prediction goes. But I'm going to say Boston-Golden State is going to be your NBA final here. And if you're the league, I'm sure you're on your hands and knees praying for that. And I don't want to hear that, oh, Miami-Dallas, this will be round three going back to 2006 and 2011. Let's see who comes out victorious there. And yes, Luka is a face of the league. Yes, Luka is an important star. Miami, we already talked about their team and how they're built. To me, it's not going to have the same sex appeal. And I get it. Miami's there, and we know about their history going back to the 06 team, and obviously the the Heatles and LeBron in the mid-20-teens understood. And even if it's Golden State-Miami, I don't think it's just going to have that same flair as boston in Golden State, even Boston-Dallas, and I get it. You have the markets there, understood. But I think Curry, Thompson, Tatum, Brown, Celtic Pride, Dub Nation, to me that just has a better make and model. And then you have East Coast, West Coast, if you want to throw that in there. I understand it's not Lakers-Celtics, but still, I think that will be the sexier final altogether. And if I had to put them in order, I'd probably have to say... Boston-Golden State. All right, I'll give you Miami-Golden State, maybe second. But I would say Boston-Dallas second, only because you have the two young stars. And because it's the Celtics. I mean, that's if the Lakers were there, or even if, let's say, in the other sports. The Yankees, the Montreal Canadiens in hockey. You you know what I'm saying. Steelers in the Super Bowl, Packers, etc. But Miami, we don't know it's a terrible sports town, terrible market. So that's why I think that, again, whether it's Miami Golden State, Miami Dallas, not as sexy, even though you got some storylines. But when you have the Celtics there, especially against Golden State and then Dallas second, a lot juicier when it comes to the casual NBA fan or even the casual sports fan getting ready to put their feet up to watch, hopefully, which will be a long NBA final. All right, it's time to lace up my skates to take a trip around the ice because you had five Game 7s over the weekend, and they were all thrilling, to say the least. And I understand maybe the Edmonton and LA Kings game where the 
Oilers were able to prevail. They came back from that 3-2 series deficit after losing that brutal Game 5 at home. And they shut out the Kings where Connor McDavid had the insurance goal. It was one nothing for the longest. And then McDavid had that goal late in the third. So the Oilers were able to prevail as well as the Calgary Flames. So you have your Battle of Alberta, which, listen, is it going to be anything close to what we saw there in the 80s? Huh. If it's going to be from a physical standpoint, I would only hope so. But you would think that that could be a nasty series, and I'll get to that in a bit. But for the Calgary Flames, and you got to give it up to Jake Edinger, the goalie of the Dallas Stars, who stood on his head, 64 saves in a losing effort, and just a tough way to lose. And to think you would have had two Dallas teams win a Game 7 on the same day, which would have been epic in that regard. But for Johnny Goudreau, And the Calgary Flames, obviously one of the leaders of that team. And he was able to get the game winner in overtime, 3-2. As, like I said, we'll talk about Edmonton and Calgary in just a moment. The Rangers last night, down 3-2 in the third period. They got a goal there with about six and a half to go from Mika Zibanejad. Pushed it into OT. And then you had on a power play where Gerard Gallant, the coach of the Rangers, called a timeout. He figured, this is my time to... Call it. I'm not going to waste it. Let's see what we could do here to try to get this goal right here at this moment. And sure enough, they did where Artemi Panarin scored the game winner in overtime as the Rangers prevailed. They were down 3-1 in the series. They had a big performance there from Chris Kreider and as well as Mika Zibanejad in the game six, including Kreider with the game tied 4-4, getting the goal where it hit off of the goaltender Louis Domingue over his head and into the net. They tacked on an empty netter to ice game six, and then with Tristan Jarry making his first appearance, the goaltender for the Penguins, and although he did play well, but not well enough, as he gave up a goal, which was not his fault, great shot there by Zibanejad, in close, right there in the slot, and then the overtime goal through a screen, and now the Rangers will face the Carolina Hurricanes, who beat the Boston Bruins, the first matchup there Saturday afternoon, where they had a 3-1 lead, and pretty much played from in front, But then the Bruins tacked on a late goal there with the net empty and made it 3-2. But generally when a team has to scramble down two goals, and even if they get that goal to make it a one-score game, to then have to ramp it up with about 30 seconds to go and try to get that equalizer is always a tough task. And the Hurricanes hung on to win a Game 7, and the Bruins, who were valiant, played very well and... What could you say? A team that was the first wildcard team and gave the Hurricanes all they could handle, but Carolina was able to prevail and they win a Game 7 in their building. And then lastly, I get it, Maple Leaf fans. I'm a Met fan. And I've suffered a long time. And granted, 36 years with them not winning a World Series is not 55. And the Mets aren't one of the cornerstone franchises in the sport the way the Toronto Maple Leafs are. But they lose a game six in Tampa and then here they go to Toronto with pretty much the whole country hanging over their city and obviously the fans, the team, organization, etc. to where the Maple Leafs came close and yes we could look at Andre Vasilevsky a guy who is in his last five closeout games has pitched shutouts and no he did not pitch a shutout here but he was able to stonewall the Toronto Maple Leafs there at the end including John Tavares who had a great opportunity <clears throat> excuse me to tie the game there late in that match And if you're a Maple Leaf fan, I know you're sick to your stomach. I know you just want to put the jersey in the closet, the hats, all the paraphernalia, and say, I'm done. We have not gotten out of the first round in almost 20 years. We've had heartache after heartache after heartache after heartache. And here they are with yet another first-round exit. Granted, it's to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And as much as you battled in the game six to where Austin Matthews got that goal late in the third period and Matthews after that game one where they shut out the lightning and you figured, oh boy, maybe they could finally get the piano off their back where 
Austin Matthews scored a couple of goals, and even Mitch Marner, their two top goal scorers, were able to just pretty much put them to sleep. But when we then fast forward to where Matthews did get that goal, but unfortunately in the overtime, they weren't able to get the game winner, where Braden Point, and Islander fans know that guy all too well, late in the first overtime, getting the win to bring this series back to Toronto, and then all you could say is we were close. We should have been able to come away victorious. And when it's 2-1 heading into the third period, and you had chance after chance after chance, and you just fall short, you are unable to get that equalizer to push your team into an overtime and hopefully have someone, somebody, somehow get that game-winning and game-series clinching goal to where we could all finally exhale as Maple Leaf fans. And I'm not a Maple Leaf fan, but you know what I'm saying. And just a brutal defeat, which who knows how that's going to reverberate throughout Toronto, similar to Phoenix, because who knows if there's going to be wholesale changes made in Toronto. And the one person in particular, you have to say Mitch Marner. Here's a guy that I understand he got an assist there on the Morgan Riley goal, the only goal that the Maple Leafs scored in a game seven. But he was another one that came out like gangbusters, but was like Claude Rains, the invisible man, as I like to say, who was nowhere to be found throughout the rest of the series. And it's going to make you wonder, if you're a Maple Leaf fan, how in the hell are we ever going to get over the hump here? And then if you're Tampa, the beat goes on if you're the Lightning. And then the Florida Panthers, who do not play, or did not play in a Game 7, but did win a Game 6 in overtime, to where Carter Verghese was the man in the final three games of the series. He got the big goal in Game 4, an overtime goal, which got them even in the series. At 3-3, where the Panthers were down 3-0 in the game, he got the go-ahead goal in the third period as they went on to win a Game 6. Oh, excuse me, a Game 5. I got my games all mixed up. Game 5 in Florida, and then Game 6 in overtime, just a few minutes in, what was it, four minutes into the overtime, he gets the game winner, and he sends the Washington Capitals packing for the spring and summer, and the Panthers dodge a serious missile here in this first round as they move on, and the Battle of the Sunshine State begins with the Lightning and Florida Panthers. So your schedule is set. You're going to have two games a night here over the course of probably the next two weeks, you would think. Tampa at Florida kicks it off tomorrow. TNT, 7 o'clock. St. Louis at Colorado. Remember them? They were the only team that swept their series here in the first round. 9.30 TNT. Wednesday, Rangers at Carolina, 7 p.m., followed by Edmonton at Calgary at 9.30. So obviously you're going to have them both flip-flop over the course of these next two weeks. Tampa and Florida, remember, they played last year in the opening round to where the Lightning won in six games. If this was, I wish, 40 years ago, this would probably be just a a brawl every night. But we know the game isn't played that way. And let's see what Florida's going to do here. We know about their goaltending. Sergei Bobrovsky, that guy's going to scare the living daylights out of you. So we know that the Lightning are going to have a huge advantage in net in the series. We know that the Panthers who score with the best of them. But then you could also look at what Toronto and what the Lightning were able to do, slowing down Austin Matthews for the most part and then pretty much negating Mitch Marner since game one. So what they're going to do with the Carter Verghese of the world, the Jonathan Huberdos, guys like that, where Alexander Barkovs, those guys are going to be critical to slow down if you're the Lightning. And the Lightning of the Lightning, what could you say? They are champs for a reason, and they have a tremendous heart. And until they get knocked out, I hope Florida wins. I hope they win in the long series, but I think Tampa's going to win in six. Track record. I got to go by that. And the goaltending. St. Louis, Colorado. St. Louis played very well in that series against Minnesota. I thought it was going to go seven games. It didn't. And now they're going to go up a notch as far as levels are concerned. Colorado, you think they had a lot of rest and they're going to be primed and ready to put up a carbon copy of what they did against Nashville 
I'll give St. Louis a game, maybe two, but I'll say Colorado in six. As great as of a regular season that they had, let me see them continue to put the pressure on the opposing teams to the point where, oh, this is a team that could be running through the Western Conference and getting ready for a Stanley Cup. Rangers and Carolina, they went the hard route, down 3-1, and Carolina, same for them. Nobody thought that after their dominant performance in the first two games that they would have played in the seventh game and come down to the final minute in order to win a series. Rangers are a live dog here. Carolina's impressive, but are they world beaters? They are not. I think it's going to be a long series, but because of the home ice and Carolina's been able to defend it, I'm going to say Carolina in seven. Rangers, they're cooking with oil. They are a team that you're going to have to watch out for. You think maybe Igor Shosturkin has gotten a bit of the postseason jitters out of the way? You've gotten some contributions from the young stars as I criticized them last week in Alexis Lafreniere and Capo Caco. You also have Artemi Panarin playing at a high pitch as well as Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad. They're, they're firing right now. So they could win this series. But I think Carolina's going to win in seven. And then Edmonton and Calgary. Yes, this isn't Jim Paplinski, Tim Hunter, Joel Otto, Marty McSorley, Dave Semenko, Kevin McClelland. No, it's not those, not your daddy's Flames-Oilers rivalry. But I think this is going to be hotly contested. This is going to be a battle to the end. I think Calgary's going to win this in seven as well. Home ice. It's going to be interesting to see how the Edmonton forwards, as I've talked about all along, the Connor McDavid's, the Leon Dreisaitl's, how they're going to perform here. It's going to be big. And I'm sure that the Edmonton Oilers are going to be well aware that the Flames are going to play physical against them. You wonder if you're going to have a lot of Matt Kachuk and also Milan Lucic. You can't forget him. And then Zach Cassian on the other side. This could be a bar burner. But I think Calgary will prevail. I think all these series have the potential to go seven. I'm sure there's going to be one that's going to go six. I know I picked Colorado, but any one of these other series could probably be a six-game series. But that's the beauty of the NHL. When you have five game sevens, and then you have these matchups here, Tampa and Florida, and interstate rival. Also the interprovince rival, Edmonton and Calgary. I get it. St. Louis and Colorado, they're not going to move the needle. Rangers, because they're an original 16, but Carolina, eh. I get it, but this is going to be compelling hockey, to say the least, and I'm here for it. This first round has been phenomenal, and if the second round could do anything and have an encore compared to this first one, then boy, I'm ready. And it all starts tomorrow night. And one last hockey note. I know with the Penguin loss yesterday, you've probably seen the end of the Crosby, Malkin, and Chris Letang era. I talked about that as one of my storylines. And yes, I did mention Toronto as well. And those are two that are already out of the postseason. We talked about Tampa. Can they three-peat? I still think they can't. But here they are. After one round, they're still standing. And that was a big test. Probably one of their bigger tests throughout the course of the last three years. You could say maybe even the seven-game series against the Islanders last year. But that was one where, boy... They really had to fight long and hard to win this series, and obviously they did, uh, beating the Maple Leafs as I highlighted earlier. Between that and then now to put on my cleats to go to the diamond, baseball at this moment, the stories or some of the things that we could wrap our arms around, I know the Yankees won three out of four in Chicago, beating the White Sox. And I know I mentioned on Thursday, and I'm sure the Yankee fan was probably a little bit of an uproar when I said that the Yankees haven't really hit. And like, Jay Reels, what have you been watching? Judge is hitting home runs all over the place. Stanton has been torrid. And what I meant was is that, yes, those guys have been hot as a pistol. And Judge, as I mentioned with the contract at the start of the year where he's betting on himself, well, how's that looking for him right about now? And I get it. You still have another what? They've played 34 games. There's still another 128 games to go, so anything can happen as far as his health is concerned. And hopefully, I'm not wishing for the guy to get hurt, but he's playing 
on an MVP level. Even give it up for their rotation. Nestor Cortez, who had flashes last year and this year, the guy's been unhittable. Guy went eight innings yesterday. He gave up no hits in that one game. I believe it was against, what, Texas last week. So he's pitched phenomenal. Cole has come back around to be the Garrett Cole that a lot of Yankee fans are hoping to see more so in October than here in May. But when I talked about the Yankees not hitting, you know, Torres wasn't hitting even though he had walk-off home runs and it looked like he was starting to come around. Donaldson hasn't really hit. Even LeMahieu's been kind of quiet when you look at what LeMahieu has done. And even though last year was a subpar year for him. But that's what I meant. On a whole, even though the Yankees have been the best team in the sport and their record says so, and how could you argue that? After that 11-game winning streak, have still played at a peak level. I believe they've won 17 of the last 20, if I'm not mistaken, if I do the math correctly. And this is a team that, as of right this second, even with the Astros playing well, they just finished an 11-game winning streak at their own right before losing to the Nationals there on Saturday. So the Astros and Yankees, who knows, way too early to discuss, but could be on a collision course for another Playoff matchup down the road, which would be, again, compelling and riveting to say the least, but we still have five months to go before we even get there. But the Yankees are the one team that we're going to have to really take a look out here for because if their pitching is going to do anything, and we've seen what Severino's done so far, and Jameson Tyon has also contributed as well, but with Cole, Severino, even Cortez, who's now Sandy Koufax, This Yankee team could just run away with the division, even though the Rays have played pretty well. And we talked about the Astros. Twins have been good, but we know the Twins, they always falter in the postseason. But I know I'm looking at this more of a big picture, and there's no way to look at a big picture here on the 16th of May. But in the American League, I mean, that's what you have at this moment. The Blue Jays have stubbed their toe here. They have not played well recently considering the hot start that they got off to. The Angels, got to give them credit. Shohei Otani, who reached the 100 home run plateau, called that a remarkable feat. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing here. And we know what Otani has done so far in his early career, obviously the MVP, and this year got off to a little bit of a slow start, but then came around with the home runs in Texas. And then he had that one performance in Boston where he struck out 11 in seven innings, gave up no runs. On that getaway day. So the Angels have continued to play well. And then when we turn our attention to the National League. The Mets finally lost the series. And you knew it was going to come at some point. They lose to the Mariners. To where the Mets had a valiant comeback. There where they were down 8-5 in the ninth. They scored two runs. And then with the bases loaded. Pete Alonso struck out. So he wasn't able to get that key hit. And if they would have won that game. I mean geez. They've pulled out so many of these games. This year, whether it was the game in Philly, the seven-run ninth inning, that one is the one that's going to stick out more than any of the others. But they had a lot of these big comebacks and a lot of these big wins so far, but they finally lose a series this year. And now they have the Cardinals coming in, which we talked about weeks ago. Those brushback wars, Nolan Arenado, and how that series ended in St. Louis. Let's see if there's any lingering effect or... Who knows if there's going to be warnings handed down by Major League Baseball. Do they have long memories to think that I was three weeks ago? Who cares? Or will we see pitches high and tight right off the bat? They're here for four games, so we'll have a lot to discuss between now and the podcast on Thursday. So you know I'll keep an eye on that. But the Mets atop the National League East. Brewers the same there in the Central with the Cardinals there in second place. And speaking of that division, I know the Reds have played better. What were they, 3-22 and to start their year? And since then, they've been 6-4. and But only the Reds, behind their phenom pitcher Hunter Green and a reliever, could combine for a no-hitter on the road in Pittsburgh and lose. And of course, it doesn't count as a no-hitter because in the record books, you have to have at least nine innings pitched. So even if they would have went into the ninth inning and at eight and two-thirds, it was a walk, stolen base, and then an error by the third baseman where the ball goes in the outfield and the run scores, it still wouldn't have counted as a no-hitter. You have to go nine innings in order for it to be official. 
So only the Reds could do that, and it looks like even with Hunter Green there and the one prospect that you're going to look at, obviously the Red season is far out to sea. And then the competitive NL West with the Dodgers, just a flat foot tie, even though they're percentage points ahead of the Padres, 21 and 12, 22 and 13 respectively. Then you have the Rockies who are in last place, but at 500, 17 and 17. So you have some competitiveness, at least out in the West. And that's what you pretty much have, people. I mean, the baseball, we're going to have plenty of time to get into. Plenty of storylines. Once we get to Memorial Day, we'll have a better look. Maybe there'll be some separation there. Maybe you'll have some teams that'll be lying in the weeds. Because that's really the first major point of a baseball season when you're more than 40 games in. And then when when we look at Memorial Day, then the All-Star break, and then you look at pretty much the end of August to kind of really get a complete lay of the the Major League Baseball landscape. And those are your three points throughout the course of the season. So you know I'll have my fingers on the pulse when it comes to this, people, especially when we get deeper, not only into the summer, but once we get past the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs, and baseball is pretty much going to be at the top of the sports food chain and all of our Attention will be focused on that. As far as the NFL, I'm going to get into the schedule here for a couple of minutes. And I'm not going to go through every week, people. I'm not going to get crazy. The one thing I do not like about the schedule is the Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right out the gate when I saw this, I was appalled. And I understand that you have to spread these games out because there are so many outlets. You have to worry about... Amazon Prime and what they've paid for, so you have to give them a quality game. Of course, the Sunday night game on NBC, you got to give quality there. With Buck and Aikman going to ESPN, you can't have the Jacksonville at Tennessee or the New Orleans at Carolina. You can't have those type of games anymore. You have to have more marquee games. And then you can't forget the Fox 425 game of the week as well as the CBS 425 game of the week. So I get it that you spread the schedule thin. When it comes to matchups and having to put forth a good game in every time slot, especially when you're the NFL, when you're trying to expand and flex your muscles, especially on Christmas Day, going up against the NBA. But with all that being said, Thanksgiving, Buffalo at Detroit. All right, you have the Bills there and Josh Allen and the Lions. We understand it's a tradition going back to the 30s with the Lions. So there isn't anything you could do about that. You're going to have to suffer through that game. You only hope the Lions are competitive. But we think that Buffalo's going to blow the Lions out, which seems to be an annual occurrence when it comes to the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. So you have that one to deal with. Then you have Giants and Dallas at 4.30. What do you expect from the Giants this year? Not much. Who knows what they're going to be like come Thanksgiving. You would think that the Cowboys are just going to blow them out. And who knows? We've seen the Cowboys not play well on Thanksgiving against a division opponent. Just look two years ago against the Washington football team. And I understand Dak Prescott wasn't your quarterback at that time. But still, and I think that's going to be a snooze fest of the game. And then the nightcap at 820 is New England at Minnesota? Uh, Put me to bed. Uh, That's not a game I'm going to, oh, I got to watch Mac Jones go up against Kirk Cousins there to top off the pumpkin pie and whatever other dessert that you're going to have for your Thanksgiving dinner as a game that you're going to be riveted by every second. Uh Uh-uh, not this guy. And then on Christmas, when we're thinking, all right, Green Bay, you figure there's going to be a home game there. We already knew that Denver at the Rams was the 430 time slot. So you figure, okay, they got to have a game in Green Bay, right? Maybe there'll be a game in Pittsburgh. Maybe we'll have a game, obviously not in Buffalo because they had the Thanksgiving game. All right, the Bears aren't sexy, but it's going to be in Chicago. Cold weather, maybe some snow. All right, bring it on. Let's see it. Your first game, yeah, you're going to get the Packers, but playing in Miami is your 1 o'clock game. We know about the 4.30 game. All right, what's going to be the nightcap? I'm sure it's going to be cold weather stadium. I'm sure it's going to have the setting. Obviously, it's not going to be in Green Bay. Where could it possibly be? Could it be in Cleveland, maybe? Maybe we'll have Cleveland, considering they played in Green Bay This past Christmas, but maybe they'll have, who knows, Ravens at Cleveland will be the nightcap. No. Tampa at Arizona. So, you mean to tell me that we're not going to have one cold weather game on Christmas, that we're going to have 
the 1 o'clock game in sunny South Florida, and then the other two games are going to be in domes. Where's the Christmas feel here? It's an absolute joke. And I get it. We have to spread these games out. We have to make sure Green Bay's in primetime probably that weekend. I didn't see what the schedule was like. I didn't go that deep down the NFL schedule rabbit hole. But I was just, I couldn't believe it. I said, these games are not tickling my fancy in the least. And I don't care. Oh, but Tom Brady's playing against Arizona that night. I don't care. So what? They're probably going to kill the Cardinals that night. Similar to what we saw on Christmas when Indianapolis beat Arizona there late. And that was a Saturday night. That wasn't on Christmas night, so my apologies. As a matter of fact, now that I come to think about it, didn't they play on a Saturday night? Wasn't that Christmas? That was the 18th. Anyway, I know I got my dates mixed up and I'm going off the top of the dome. But I am not flattered in the least by these holiday games this upcoming season. And we could go through the Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night schedule, but you know they're going to be good games. So I'm not going to nitpick on any one of these games to think that, let's say the Thursday primetime, November 10th, for Arizona is going to be, uh, for Arizona, for Amazon, excuse me, Atlanta at Carolina. Or the Eagles in Houston to play the Texans. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have some bad games. The Monday night, if we look at both Sunday and Monday, they're both comparable. That's how I look at it. So, I could go through all these games. I could go through the Steelers schedule. As we get closer to the NFL season, I'll get into more of what's going to take place. And yes, I know Kansas City's playing in Tampa. Your Super Bowl 55 rematch. I believe, what is it, October 30th is that game? Maybe it's even sooner than that. I think it's October 2nd. Let me take a quick look. Yes, so October 2nd, KC at Tampa, and I believe that's your Sunday night game. So you can have another Mahomes-Brady rematch there to cap off your first Sunday of October. And I know you had another incident here with one of the NFL players. Jerry Judy gets arrested on a domestic case where he was released on a bond. It looks like it has to do with possessions, how Judy was shutting out this woman, the woman of, I believe, his one-month-old daughter, how I believe she had some... I don't know if it was a carriage or a, who knows what it was, a cell phone. You had all these different things that Judy did not want to have this woman around. And even though he was arrested, but Judy's girlfriend did come out to say that she's not pressing charges. He doesn't want him arrested, all that nonsense. So thankfully, at least the league doesn't have to have another player and another incident of domestic violence hanging over his head or its head, I should say. So you got that, that the NFL had to dodge there and do, do not have to worry about a PR disaster waiting in the wings. And then lastly, I'll talk more about the race and there's not going to be much to discuss anyway on Thursday, but their Preakness has lost its luster big time knowing that the Derby winner, Rich Strike, who came out of nowhere at 80-1 odds, how... Their camp, their team is pulling the horse out of the race saying that the owner, their original plan was contingent that they would not run in the Derby, that they would run in the Preakness, but because Ethereal Road was scratched, obviously he was in the Derby and we know what happened, but it was going to be an either-or scenario where if he wasn't going to run in the Derby, he was going to run the Preakness and the Belmont, and because of the fortunes and how it all played out that because he ran the Derby, he's not going to run the Preakness because he didn't want to subject to the race outcome and the condition of the horse. They wanted to give him more recovery time. I don't know if that's a nice way of saying that we don't want this horse to be embarrassed or to get embarrassed where it's going to be seventh or eighth in the race where it's going to be nowhere near in the top three in the Preakness. I'm going to look at it more that way protecting the horse in that regard to where now it's going to get the proper rest and the who knows what it's going to be like. But I will say this, if that horse doesn't come in the top three for the Belmont, we knew that that was not a big-time horse. Yes, it ran a big-time race. Give it all the credit in the world. But if it does not run, win, place, or show in the Belmont, we knew that this horse wasn't big-time. And I'm saying that right now. And it's no offense to the horse. 
or to their team. But obviously they must know something and they know that this could be a just a big time story if Rich Strike somehow, some way won the Preakness considering that it wasn't on anybody's map that this horse was going to perform at the Derby. But me personally, I think they're just covering its ass knowing that if they ran him in the Preakness and ended up last or close to last, the horse would be a laughingstock. And it's not the horse's fault, but that's just my theory on it. All right, let's get to it, people, to close out my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week goes to Patrick Marlowe, the longtime San Jose Shark player who surpassed Gordie Howe, of all people, last year on the all-time games played list. Uh, April of 2021, retires after 23 seasons in the league. He spent all but two in San Jose. He did have a cup of coffee in Pittsburgh before a two-year stint in Toronto. Goes without saying, he's the all-time franchise leader in goals, games, points, etc. You go through the list of accolades. And Patrick Marlowe, I don't know if he's destined for the Hall of Fame. Not to rain on his parade on that front, but Marlowe, 23 years, what more can you say? Goes out on a high note, not as a winner, but a winner playing as long as he did. So he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, I know this is a little bit of a weird one, but I got to say it, goes to Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, who feels as if the Cowboys should share another NFL team in that city and could play in the AFC and also be sustainable to have two NFL teams in one city better than New York or LA. First off, the league doesn't need another team in Dallas. Number two, it is going to dwarf being in a city with the Dallas Cowboys because nobody, as big as the NFL is, who's going to want to go to those games when everybody could just go see the Cowboys? Because it'll be against America's team versus America's dream when you think about it. And yes, he could break out all the pom-poms he wants to say, oh, we could have that second team here. The Jets and Giants are terrible. Nobody supports the LA teams, even the Rams who won the Super Bowl. You had the Niner fans coming down to support their team, and those are all true. But it doesn't automatically mean that you could put the Dallas, whatever you want to call them, or the Fort Worth, whatever, and put them in, and right away that they're going to be successful and going to be competitive, and they're going to be anywhere close to an equal of the Dallas Cowboys? I think not. Good luck with that, my guy. Uh, just to even have that thought in your brain. And yes, that's pie in the sky. But you, Mr. Johnson, are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. Another episode in the books. I'll have a lot more come Thursday with the PGA. Obviously, the Preakness with what's to discuss there. The opening of the second round with the NHL. The conference finals in the NBA and all the baseball and anything else that comes down the pike when it comes to the world of sports. Because... I thank you guys and gals for tuning in to listen to me. It goes without saying, I do not take your participation for granted. I am grateful that you pass by, listen to what it is, me babble about sports. And if you haven't done so, please participate this way by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. So whether that's on Apple, Google, Spotify, you know the platforms. And throw me a few stars, write a review, increase the visibility of this podcast so I could get future guests, whether it's former athletes, current athletes, players, broadcasters, writers, studio hosts, etc. We're trying to take this to the next level, and I'm doing this all my on my own. So with your contribution, I would sincerely appreciate it. If you want to hit me up, you could do so at the following on social media, TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, throw them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you want to put forth some hard-earned money to this endeavor, I would sincerely appreciate it if you do so at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, again, we'll go to this endeavor, the production, the upkeep of the website, equipment, anything and everything that has to do with this because... Whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. Passion, fire, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, all of that. And then some I love to get into on anything and everything. 
that's happening on the world of the ice, diamond, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>